Hello and welcome to the Free Associates, the freely associating expert-free zone since 2019, folks. Been keeping it up almost a year now, actually really coming up to our anniversary, I believe in a week and a half. And during that time, with some exceptions where people snuck into the studio, we've kept you in an expert-free space. Now, why would we do that? Why would we keep you away from experts? It's not because we don't believe that expertise shouldn't be used. But for the purpose of open discussion, experts can kind of stifle and crush the conversation. Data and facts and figures can stifle and crush the conversation. Because the one thing that we all know is that we all have kind of uh, dreams and notions and desires for what America could look like. And perhaps instead of going from policy first to vision, let's go from vision first to policy. Let's ask ourselves, what would we want if we could want anything and then see if it's possible? Because that's what policy is there for. It's to enact visions. Now, if you're listening to WMUA Amherst, it's great to have you on. We'd love to have you on. And if you're on Facebook Live, then give us a like, join our page. And I am going to hypnotize. Boom. Buddy Whalen. Oh, he's so easy to hypnotize, folks. He thinks he can't be hypnotized. This is all it takes. Whalen, how you doing, pal? Uh, going to get hypnotized. I'm good. How are you? You are. I have to say, in the last episode, you 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 pop that in at the end. You're like, oh, I can't be hypnotized. But um, I don't know. I just don't know. Uh, you probably can't be made to walk like a chicken, but I think you could probably be hypnotized. You know, I quit smoking being hypnotized. So, and that that worked for me. God, yeah, God bless that. I mean, I mean, I just I think that it, it, it it's something where if you don't if you just go into it with a with a kind of cynical attitude, you're not going to be open and receptive to it. Which right. is kind of weird because I'm usually open and receptive to everything. It's just I don't know. I don't know. What's the things that I'm not open and receptive to are like hypnotism for myself and and i do actually think that it works on people like i when we go to um the senior class picnic like those kids are definitely hypnotized yeah. like it's crazy yeah um but i don't believe in the hypnotism for myself and uh um i almost said astrology um what am i th- what am i thinking of horoscopes oh you don't believe in those no. Oh, well, let me just make a quick case for that, that your personality is shaped in the first five or six months of your life. And so, in some ways, it makes sense, right? Because as a tourist, my first uh, season really is summer. So I'm stubborn, kind of slow, I'm loyal. But the Aquarius' first season is spring. Anyway, I don't want to have to convince you about this. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So you're, you're, you convincing me was just telling me your, your, no, your no, size. Just, so that was, that, was a good, that was a good convincing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like a Virgo's first season is winter. If you actually that was like, well, you know, I the just, point you know, is that you're a Taurus and you're and you're yeah. stubborn, so you can't just I, use the horoscope against me in, in the logic of me believing it. Yeah, yeah, I get it, I get it. Um, well, I do agree with you. If you don't, if you don't have buy-in, you're not going to be hypnotized. Like I've always believed, if you're going to do anything, whether it's meditation or hypnosis or whatever it is, you if you're not going to buy in, you really shouldn't do it at all because. A lot of this stuff does work on a level of, of willingness, right? You're willing to be hypnotized, so I agree with that. There might come a time where you do, so we'll see. Life is long, so folks. Well, we the can, other thing, yeah, I mean, the other thing about it, just before, it's yeah. like, okay, I don't believe in for myself because also it's like I don't want to be necessarily hypnotized because mm-hmm. I don't want, want to relinquish that control. But well, I that's... like to watch others relinquish that control. Well, that's that's yeah, what it is. It's you a really want to issue. burrow down and psychoanalyze my, my well, thought. No, I, no. And by the way, I don't want to be hypnotized on stage, but I, it can be useful for things like quitting smoking. Like I quit smoking in 2000. That's 20 years ago. Um, 
So, you know, like, I would never do it outside of that. I've thought about having my daughter hypnotized for eating vegetables, actually. Like, I'd be willing to give that a shot. Seriously. Like, yeah. seriously could use it. I should be hypnotized for that, too. Now, folks, we've been doing a Politico series. Um, we don't really particularly get political in the minutia, although Waylon, remind me to talk to you about the, uh, the, at the end about the White House saying this social distancing is going to last through the summer. I'm like, what? The White House is saying that? Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Let's come back to that. that. That totally drove me crazy when I saw it. But we've been doing a Politico series. They're very short pieces, and they are basically predictions from different people on how COVID might impact. That's, these are already almost two months old, and some of them seem a little more or less likely than others. I actually thought last week we had a bunch of good ones. I actually was really happy with last week's because we talked about, it wasn't the same old, which was cool. Uh, There was like tariffs and there was some other stuff I thought was really cool. I think this one will be interesting. So this one's called The Inequality Gap Will Widen. This is Theta Scopel, professor of government and sociology at Harvard. Okay, discussions of inequality in America often focus on the growing gap between the bottom 90% and the top 1%. But the other gap that has grown is between the top fifth and all the rest. And that gap will be exacerbated by this crisis. The wealthiest fifth of Americans have made greater income gains than those below them in the income hierarchy in recent decades. Oh, yeah, big time. They are more often members of married, highly educated couples. As high-salary professionals or managers, they live in internet-ready homes that will accommodate telecommuting. And where children have their own bedrooms and aren't as disruptive to work-from-home schedules. In this crisis, most were on steady incomes while having necessities delivered to their front door. The other 80%, and by the way, the math's a little weird on this. I didn't really get the math. The other 80% of Americans lack the financial cushion. Some will be okay, but many will struggle with job losses and family burdens. They're more likely to be single parents or single-income households. They're able, less able to work from home, more likely to be employed in service or delivery sectors and jobs that put them at greater danger of coming into contact with the coronavirus. In many cases, their children will not gain educationally at home because parents will not be able to teach them, or their households might lack access to high-speed internet that enables the remote instruction. Can we just, before we do anything, get to the math issue here? Because there's a yeah. giant math error in this. Am I wrong? Oh, no, I get it. It's not. It's, it's, oh, not, I mean, it's not the wealthiest 5%. Not, not, yeah, yeah. Well, it was confusing because she talked about top 1%. And then she said top 5th. And so now I get it, top 20%. And that, that I think, actually makes more sense in, in context to the article, too. So what? Because the top 5%, those people don't work in general. They're not like... They're not working from home in general. Those, that's really wealthy people. So what's your thoughts on this, Waylon? Yeah, I mean, the the, the narrative that we, we usually see is uh, the, the 1%. And the, and I, I it's, it's a good tactic, actually, and it's a good narrative to propel because if you think about the 1% owning, I, f- I forget what the exact share is, but it's like something like... 40% of the the, mm-hmm. the, the entire wealth of the United States. It's, it's something ridiculous. But yeah. you want to, when you're doing that, it's the same thing that we were talking about last week, is you want to uh, basically have the catalyst be uh, all-encompassing. And so the 99% versus the 1% is a very good narrative because almost every single individual is yeah. in that 99%. Right. But there are delineations right down the ro- right down the line and you can start to look at the 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 various um discrepancies in that i think the one of the biggest ones that we have in this uh in in our country is the t- just the tax back bracket from $250,000 plus 
Mm-hmm. And looking at who makes two hundred fifty thousand dollars plus versus the, the 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 that, and I think that you get math that's more similar to what we're what what is being experienced here. Uh, but the, the the general narrative of this, I I do agree with, is that just disparity is going to have consequences here in in very large ways, especially with education, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that it, especially with healthcare as well. And yeah. I agree. I agree with it. Yeah. Although, by the way. Um, you know, you got to be careful. I see what you're saying, tax bracket. Yeah, that makes more sense. Because I've, I saw a number recently where I thought, well, that's not a really good number because it was talking about earnings. But there's a lot of so much inherited wealth in the country that like that can be a, a kind of weird number because there's plenty of people who have income sources that are different from job earnings and stuff like that. Now, yeah. I think you were actually out of town when I had Greg White on. We did an article about wealth inequality that was quite good. And it was really making the case, it was talking about the top 10%. And it was basically saying that there's a new aristocracy in the country in the top 10%. Um, And some of the numbers in that article, you're like, whoa, they were like, one number was like, the net net worth of African Americans living in Boston is $17 or something like that. It was really like, it was startling. And... I show a video to my US2 kids about wealth inequality that's worth looking up. I don't remember if it's a TED-Ed thing or something like that, but it's a visualization. And what they do is they they ask people what they think wealth inequality is, and then they ask them what they think it should be, but then they actually show you what it is. And it's like so much more, uh, so much more than, than we think it is. Now, but I also agree with you about the 99.1% thing, where it's kind of like, that is an easy movement to jump on because you're probably not in the 1%, you know? And so it's almost like a phantom menace a little bit. And yeah. Th- yeah. And this article was saying, listen, it's, it's the 10, it's also the top 10%. I mean, or it's just the system or it's just the way it is. But I wonder now, one thing I think that th- they might be missing in this piece is I don't know, this could reach further up than the top 20%. I mean, you say I can work from home, but if I'm in an advertising firm and no one's paying for advertising because companies are going bankrupt left and right, I'm also losing my job. Like it just depends on the level of economic destruction, basically, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that you have to you have to look at particular sectors. I think that that's important. Uh, but the general but the general outlook. In diagnosis that I would say is that individuals above a certain well-off threshold in the middle class and upper middle class upper are middle. going to we're going to focus our relief efforts on that and the individuals that are why? in the, the low I, and I'm not saying it's right I just think that you that's think why, why where would we do that do you uh, think one so? I think well, I, well why would we do that it's because that that that's particularly the the voting population in in mm-hmm. the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that they have the biggest say. I think that they're the biggest they can advocate for themselves the most. Hmm. And I mean we see it in schools every day. Oh, hmm. who who yeah. if a student's struggling, is it the student that's struggling that you're having conversations with or the proactive parent that has well, the time to to, okay. to do that? Here's my argument. It's in fact both yep. of those students that you're having conversations with who have a lot of support. And so I would like to take your statement earlier and withdraw the middle class from it. Because I actually think the middle class in America loses out over and over and over again. Um, I was just reading about, oh, I actually listened to this uh, podcast called uh, Gangster Capitalism and had a season about colleges. And that's one of the things they said. 
if you want to get an Ivy League school, you should either be really rich or really poor. But middle class kids aren't being led into those schools anymore because it doesn't fit this narrative. So I agree with you that upper middle class kids get a lot of it can get a lot of attention in the school, but also it's really struggling. Um, disadvantaged kids have supports too, but the middle class doesn't. So I wonder if the middle class is going to get bailed out. I'm not so sure about that. Like I feel like no one represents them, honestly. Who represents um, the w- middle class in this country? Who? I don't see I mean, it. that's, yeah, I mean, it's the common narr- narrative that the Democrats are, are doing that. Um, no, they're not. But I, 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 I would take issue with that as well. But I think that, again, it's, it's, it's just a kind of a ladder of advocacy here. It's not just, it's not necessarily that they're, 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 the ones that are focused on spot the, the spotlight on, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think that they have the means to advocate for themselves more and the means to have their voice heard more well, so I, than I, I totally than agree with you classes. as long as you put upper in front of it. I, I'm not sure that the middle class really is that good at advocating for itself, but you know, we don't have to split hairs. I think you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, um, I do. I think in a lot of ways, the parties build coalitions between wealthy people and poor people. And that the middle class and the upper middle class are as part of that. But the middle class often gets leapfrog in this this system. That's what I've seen. Now, I could be totally wrong about that, but that's a general. And, you know, I'm not middle class. I'm basically upper middle class. And, you know, I'm definitely in the top fifth. So I just want to be, for the sake of clarity, I teach, but that doesn't mean that's my only source of income. So, I, you know, I don't want to pretend I'm in the middle class. But I'm, I think, I, I guess I would be in the middle class. Well, it's hard for you to say because you're single still and stuff like that. You probably would be. I'm in the middle class. You're probably in the middle class. You're a little bit of a um, wild card, a little bit, for a couple of different reasons. Maverick over here. (laughs) That's what you are. I'm going to get my cowboy hat. I'm thinking thinking more It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, wild card, but you have never really seen that show. Cut the brakes! Wild card! (laughs) That's right. right. So, you know, yeah, you're probably middle class. but, you know, what we've seen with globalism and wealth inequality is that there's less and less of a place for the middle class to sit. Like the, It's like a musical chairs game where there's the seats keep getting removed. When I grew up, towns were much more middle class. You didn't have good town, bad town situation like you do now. You know, you, we get towns in Western Mass where you're like, that town's really in bad shape. This is a good town. That's a bad town. East Hampton's going to be a good town. You know, and it just wasn't like that. There was a bunch of t- that you wouldn't even talk that way. It's almost how like New York used to be good block, bad block. Um, and I do think it's the elements of wealth inequality. I mean, one of the number one indicators of a depression or a recession, deep recession is when wealth inequality gets out of control. Now, to that point, let me argue the contrary. The last time we had wealth inequality on this level was right before the Great Depression. Um, wealth inequality lessened during the Great Depression. Now, I don't know the mechanisms of which how it lessened, but it did lessen. And post-war, it you know that's the golden age of the American middle class, right? It's 1945 to 1965. I mean, golden age of the middle class. And I've always been in favor of a strong middle class, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, the factors that are coming into existence there, though, is just the military-industrial complex that is actually we're working it was it was a good military industrial complex type thing that was going on um but i mean there's certain factors i would agree with you that um i mean it, just boiling all of this down one i believe that we have uh you know it, and it's actually just facts that we have a widening gap between the rich and the poor um 
the, the it, this is it's going to be exacerbated by the this COVID crisis, and that the individuals that are going to be the ones that are advocating the most, and it's probably it, it is is can directly correlate with how rich you are and how much relief you're going to get. Right, you think so? Yeah, uh, really? Uh, yeah. Don't you think there'll be blood on the streets? Do you think that the super well? Okay, are you talking about percentage, or are you talking about? Actually, in, like in order for blood to be on the streets, we would have to be be, be able to go out on the streets. Right, right. I guess uh, social distancing really cuts down on revolution. Although, you know, people have done, gone to protest. And this is something that perhaps we can kind of talk about later. Um, well, wealth inequality, I don't really blame anyone for wealth inequality because to me, it's like this. It's like COVID. It's, an, it's in some ways an act of nature. It's an act of ecology. You know, and I think that globalism, the end of the Soviet empire, China be, being drawn online into the first, whatever, the free free capitalist world, just let, and technological innovations led to wealth inequality. I mean, that I don't think that anyone did it, and they, I don't think anyone can undo it. However, I do think situations can undo it. I'm just not convinced that this is going to lead to more wealth inequality. I could really see it the exact opposite. But, you know... Mm-hmm. I mean, she's I, I talking know. about goes, she's talking yeah. about the next six months. Yeah, the next six months, people are going to get food at their door. And listen, I think you and I both agree the education piece is big. You know, like if people are out of school for any amount of time next year, that gap will widen and widen between parents. Who, and I don't know if that's a wealth thing, but it probably is. Parents who are like forcing their kids to learn and stuff like that—that's a big yeah. one. I agree with her. About I guess that. the yeah. I guess it, it brings us back to the question of the the gov- how the government is in a form a charitable organization. And the, the thing that's going to be interesting is looking at how much relief actually comes from the private sector. Mm-hmm. I for when a Hurricane Katrina happens or when you know a, a big disaster like that, you see relief efforts that are bringing hundreds of millions of dollars in. I've seen a mm-hmm. couple of things that are relief. Uh, programs, but it's such widespread chaos that's going on. I don't think that it's generating the amount of funding that is needed from the private sector. So then that's going to fall, that's going to be, uh, that's going to fall onto the, the public sector and, and government to, to, for those relief efforts. And so I don't know where, I don't know where that stands. Well, when, not, when you're talking yeah. about the lessening of the gap, that would have to be the inclusion of private, of private individuals willingly giving their money yeah. to well, relief efforts. And no, I don't think I see no, no, that no, happening no, no. on the not, scale of disaster relief. Not not willingly, but taxation could do it. Right. Taxation is one way to... Well, then, yeah. Money. Well, then we go into government. That, that would be government relief. Yeah, yeah. Well, yes. I, I'm not talking private sector. I have no belief in the private sector to handle something this big uh, in terms of like a inequality. Now, at the same time, you do... Okay, let me just... Let's just play this argument out a little bit. You, your top 10% of America relies, a lot of their wealth is sunk into the economy. It doesn't just sit in a bank with 1% interest. It's in stocks. It's in all kinds of things. And so there's a lot of wealth that, got, that has been lost and could be lost if the whole thing breaks down, right? If you don't really have that same system of consumer capitalism, I think you, there's a lot of wealth that disappears. Now, when the stock market crashes, it certainly hurts lower middle class, middle class, poor people. But in terms of like straight up losing numbers, it hurts people who are invested. And that is not, poor people are not invested in the stock market. So that's the other way, right? Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, you th- you have to think about the plateau of like you, you already have your money. 
You know, sure. like yeah. you, you, like if you lose forty percent of your your total uh, your total inheritance or your total wealth, your family wealth, you still own your. No, your, I know. Nothing's changing in your life. But if you lose forty percent when you're in the middle class, or even the upper middle class, you lose forty percent. You're you're looking pretty bad. No, there's no question. I'm not arguing like one is – I agree with you. I'm just saying like if you lose 40% of your wealth and you're a billionaire, that does lessen the – just on numbers, just on paper, that does lessen the wealth inequality gap. I agree. The experience might not be anything like it, but in terms of numbers, it lessens it. Here's my question to you. You're a planet money guy. Where does a trillion dollars come from? Like how does that happen when the government has a trillion-dollar stimulus plan – where does that come from? Are they just yeah. printing more money or what's happening? No, there? Yeah, so it's actually that, – that, it's a good question. They actually don't print more money. It's an electronic transaction. Hmm. But with any transaction like that, it's causing inflation. So right. you make – you don't just make you know, a trillion dollars and poof, everybody ha- – you have a trillion dollars into the economy. It does have its effects and you see that in um, – what what's that country? Uh, was it Zimbabwe or hmm. um, Mozambique that the, it, it became a $1 trillion note was worth like one cent. Right, right. So you, you, you always have to think about where that inflation is compared to what's going on in the economy. Uh, oh, the, yeah. the, the numbers were that $2 trillion was about – five to six weeks of uh, everyday interactions Mm -hmm. in in the economy. But when the economy stops and you're also creating $2 trillion out of, out of thin air, like those two things are, are exaggerating the, 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 the problem here. Mm -hmm. Um, You have to do it. um, And eventually you're hoping that the, that everything recovers, but yeah, it's, it's going to lead to absolutely going to lead to inflation. That's, Mm -hmm. that's just got to happen to the extent that we can recover from that inflation is the other. Although let me ask you, um, hmm. I totally understand this like economic point about inflation. When there's more money, there's more inflation. And in fact, I'm, we'll just hold on that. You know, one of the problems that could happen is stagflation, which happened in the 70s. You know, typically you have inflation in a hot economy, right? Like that's usually hand in hand with a good economy because there's cheaper credit and things are booming. And then money gets worth less because everyone has more of it because there's a booming economy. And now this house costs twice as much as it used to or whatever. But in the 70s, because of the oil embargo by Saudi Arabia and a couple of other things, they had stagflation, which was inflation matched with a stagnant economy. And that's a real, that's like a, a death, I don't know what they call it on a plane where it's like a death spiral kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's really bad. So, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll just, I, again, it's hard to know. Uh, no. So let's just talk about this for a minute, Waylon, because, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you felt like everyone would be kind of back just to going out to concerts and stuff like that by the end of May and stuff like that. I want to take your temperature on that now. Like, are you still feeling that way? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I think what I think is going to happen is uh, the daily New York Times daily podcast actually just had a great episode on this. Mm -hmm. And essentially they... It was talking to an expert, and what's what he predicts is going to happen is what's called the hammer and the dance. Are you familiar with that? No. Nope. So the hammer is we we're experiencing the hammer. Boom! Everybody can't go outside, yep. or uh, everybody can't interact, can't go out into public, and everything. As that number comes down, we start uh, 
you know, less restricting the movement of people. We can start going back into um, society, but that's the dance. And the dance happens until the numbers start creeping up again, and then all of a sudden the hammer comes down. And then we start it all over. So we have these rising waves. It's yeah. also called the W. But, um, you know, I the, the things that are going to be interesting to watch is how uh, how much the people are uh, actually subscribing to this, the science behind it versus the psychology of being pent up. Mm-hmm. And so those things, at some point, one has got to give. Well, also, and, can we add that yeah. it's also it's an economic thing, like as part of that triangle yeah. too, right? Like we, real concern about economic recovery. Yeah, but yes, go ahead. Yeah. So you think there's going to be a struggle it, between <clears throat> caution and like enough already? I got to get out of here. Yeah, and at what point do we? At what point do we deem that? Um, you know, acceptable that we uh, there's going to be hands down until as this tapers off, people that are 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 going to die from COVID. Mm-hmm. So going back to that, what we were talking about before um, a couple of weeks ago, there's a certain number that the government values for life that was uh, around uh, ten million dollars, and how much it's affecting the economy. And when those two meet, that's when the economy opens. And it's going to be interesting to watch because we might get impatient. We might have some dire situation in which it's not we, – we're still at some sort of boiling point. But there's also people that – I don't want to say dying of starvation here, but it's getting very – you know, that things get to a part where people are going out and protesting in the streets at, a, at an actual mainstream level. Right. Instead of like some sort of you know fringe right. group and outliers, so well, yeah. it's going to be interesting watching the the this give and take to where uh, you know it, it might be six months down the road and everybody's like we can't do this anymore yeah. we gotta we gotta brave it so um, it's interesting to watch I don't I I think that it's gonna be longer I think the hammer and dance is gonna go on and I also am just kind of really taking the temp of where how people's frustrations and um, that cabin fever that's setting in absolutely it's the, we're in the crusty period of this whole thing right now and I think you see that in the pessimism of uh, opinion pieces and stuff like that out there there's like a heavy level of pessimism I think is being impacted by cold weather and also cabin fever. Um, I was out on Saturday and there was way more people congregating than there was at any other time. So, you know, like nine kids playing soccer, teenagers. and Now, interestingly enough, Sweden is saying that they're weeks away from having herd immunity. So that in Stockholm, they're days away. And that in the country, they've done very little to shut things down, right? So this is a very interesting model. They've definitely lost people. And I was thinking tomorrow, we, I have found a really good website with a bunch of facts and figures on it that I thought was pretty cool. They've definitely lost people. But I think Sweden would say, well, we, we did lose a bunch of people. It's true. But like, yeah, but that's like, saying, that's like saying, I don't know, I don't no. want to say Nevada, but like South Dakota has conquered this. We're talking about two different populations and two different means of attack here. You know what I'm saying? No, I don't. So we're talking about two, the population. What what is the population of Sweden? I don't know. It's it's not South Dakota. You know, it's probably ten million people. I'm just saying, like, just Waylon, just hear me out for a second. If yes. if Sweden did very little, they even kept their kids in school, 
And they had a certain percentage of death run throughout whatever 10 million people live in Sweden. And now they've heard immunity. It does put a different card on the table, which basically says not that different from what you're talking about, which is, you know, maybe we just go through this. You know, maybe we just kind of, um, you know, as much as the medical establishment can handle. I mean, it's not that different from what you the hammer and the dance. It's just that I think they had a better medical system and they could actually... The hammer yeah, could be a lot harder yeah. right off the bat, I think, is what's happened. But if you're Swedish, you you know, you, you have herd immunity, that means everything can go back to normal all the way. We can't wait for two years for a vaccine to go back to normal. That would just be just so crazy. Right. Well, and on, on that on that daily podcast, he said that, that that the fastest we've ever developed a vaccine was four years. Wow. That's the fastest we've ever done it. Yeah. For now this was back in the this was back in the fifties and it, okay. you know, so it, it so it took you know it took a while so yeah. I mean we're we're re- and we're really busting ass on this one so it's yeah. like we're we're trying and trying but four years is is our is our record right now. Well, I'm going to vaccinate myself against Ooh. you having strong opinions. Although I guess this is how I dehypnotize you. You will remember nothing of this conversation, Wayland. Put the music on, my friend. You have been listening to the Free Associates folks. We're so glad to have you on. We are an expert-free zone, and we're kind of, we free associate. We like to freely associate with just about anything. We like to have free associations. Wayland, what are you doing for the rest of this day? Uh, I have to actually. I'm coming to uh, coming around to your parts. I'm going to be in Northampton. I got to go uh, deliver a camera to somebody, so I might stop by, beep the horn, show you the van a little bit from afar, and would we'll you see. please? What time are you going to be yeah. around? I got I got a jet. I got to be there at 4:30. So, well, we'd love to see you, man. Love to yeah. see you. Let's do it. All right. So this has been the Free Associates, and we will see you tomorrow. And until that time, Waylon, be smart. Be safe and don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.